welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you today. Can we welcome our online campus, our Germantown campus, our Appleton campus? Can we welcome all those? We are one church, multiple locations, and so it is great wherever you're connecting with us, wherever you're coming from. It's awesome that you're here. And uh, we're in a brand new series that we just started last week that we're going to continue now all the way through Palm Sunday. And I hope that you're going to journal uh, journey with us through this and uh, that you find this uh, to be uh, helpful to you. I, I want to recommend a resource if you really are resonating with the content. Uh, it's called Four Cups. Actually, it's kind of where we got the title of the series from uh, by uh, Chris Hodges, who's a pastor uh, in uh, Birmingham, Alabama, and just wrote a great kind of companion to this series in essence. Uh, and so uh, if, if that's at the Resource Center at the Appleton campus uh, or here at the Germantown campus as well. So wherever you are joining us from, we're glad to have you today. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the book of Exodus. Now I'm going to be, I'm going to give you several passages of scripture, but, but I'm going to start in Exodus and I'm going to make my way to the book of Romans and I'm going to make my way to the book of Ephesians and kind of explain some of this. But to kind of recap kind of what this series is about uh, 3,500 years ago, approximately, uh, under the direction of God, the nation of Israel, the Jews, the Israelites, the Hebrews, uh, whatever you want to call them, that group of people, uh, basically, under God's direction, began to practice what they called the Feast of Passover. And it was, uh, it was a, a thankfulness, and it was a gratuitous nature between them and God, and between God and them. It's this covenantal type of relationship. And, uh, and so what they would do, they were celebrating the fact that God was the great I am. We sang about that this morning, but that's where that comes from. So when God sends Moses to Pharaoh uh, to begin this exodus, God tells Moses, says, who do I say sent me? He said, I am sent you. Which that phrase in the Hebrew, basically God's saying, whatever my people need me to be, that's what I am. If they need me to be a healer, then I'm a healer. If they need me to be a deliverer, then I'm a deliverer. If they need me to be their salvation, I'm their salvation. If they need me to be their peace, I'm their peace. Whatever they need me to be, I am. And so anytime you see that phrase in Scripture or referred to or even a chorus, that's what it's referring to. And so God establishes himself as the great I am at the feast of Passover. And so from 3,500 years till today, if you were involved in a, in a Passover meal that was commemorating in an Orthodox way in a Jewish home, there would be four cups in front of you. And so there are these four cups, and these four cups symbolize the four statements that God makes, the four promises that God makes to his people. And so out of this, uh, we read on then uh, into the book, into the New Testament, and we see that Jesus is celebrating the feast of Passover with the disciples in the upper room, which we as Christians know is the Last Supper. So Jesus would have practiced this as well. This, is not a, this would not have been uncommon for them. But and sc scholars and theologians tell us that when he took the cup and he said, this is, the, this is my blood, this is the new covenant. The old covenant is what we're going to talk about today in Exodus. The new covenant is Jesus. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus then becomes the fulfillment of all these four promises, all these four cups. Therefore, in the Jewish tradition, to honor God, the Father, they would take these four cups. Jesus becomes the fulfillment of the law of those four cups. And thus, in the Christian tradition, we take one cup in communion. That's where that comes from. So... Today, I want to go to this, and I'm going to read this. I'm going to give you those four cups again, and then we're going to talk about the second cup, which is the cup of deliverance. 
Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the yoke of the Egyptians. So there are are four promises that represent these four cups. First, the first promise, verse 6, I will bring you out, which is the cup of sanctification. We talked about that last week. Second statement, I will free you. That's the cup of deliverance. That's what we're talking about today. Next week, we're going to talk about I will redeem you. That's the cup of redemption. These are all four different perfunctory roles and promises that God gives, separate in and of themselves. And the fourth cup we'll talk about on Palm Sunday, and then we'll take communion together. I will take you as my own. The Jews would refer to this as the cup of praise. So today, I want to talk about the cup of deliverance. No banjos, right? Just the cup of deliverance. No? Okay. Too early. Exodus chapter 6, verse 6. I will free you from being slaves to them. He says, I will free you from being slaves to them. Now, they're already saved. That's a cup of sanctification. We talked about that last week. Salvation. But the second cup is about freedom. Let me explain the difference. The first cup is about getting the Israelites out of Egypt. Salvation. Sanctification. The second cup is about getting Egypt out of the Israelites. The first cup that we partake of, of salvation, is about us becoming Christ followers and being saved. Period. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, and 10, when you ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart and your life, that you are saved. Period. But the problem isn't that. The problem is, is that in this Christian life, living in the here and now, we battle things called sin. We battle the flesh. We battle these issues in our lives. So how do I deal with that? That's what the cup of deliverance speaks to. Sanctification, we talked about this last week, is a word, a theological term typically that means to be set apart from, to separate from. So God sanctifies you at salvation. He sets you apart at salvation. So sanctification is two parts. The first is instantaneous, which means when you ask Jesus to come into your heart and into your life, instantly, he does that. But then there's another part of sanctification, which is this ongoing, where i got to deal with me. Now, I know you're not bad, and I'm the only one that's messed up in this room. Thank you for not saying amen to that. I had a few laughs. But the reality is, is that i got to deal with me. And so that's an ongoing process. Now, there's, a, there's theological debates on are we made up of two parts, which is be flesh and spirit, or are we made up of three parts, which would be body, soul, and spirit. So there's what they call dichotomy and trichotomy. And if you want to get into a theological debate about that afterwards, I'll see you in the foyer and we'll have a cup of coffee and talk about that. But for the sake of our conversation today, I believe that we're comprised of three parts. The body, which is our physical body, right? This thing that can't lose weight. Amen? Got it? My spirit, which is the part of me that is, that is redeemed at salvation. That when I ask Jesus Christ to come into my heart and my life, he saves me. It's the part of me that will last forever. It is, it is all of that. And, and then there is my soul. That's my mind. That's my will. That's my emotions. And so, so, so at salvation, our spirit becomes perfect, but our body and our soul still have issues. And there's this sin nature that battles inside of our spirit. And the cup of deliverance promises us that God will free us from the bondage of sin, that we can live free from this bondage, that we can be delivered. So the cup of deliverance gives you three things. First of all, it gives you victory over sin. 
Victory over sin. I'm going to go to the New Testament, Romans chapter 7, if you want to turn there. Romans chapter 7. After salvation, we battle sin. Have you noticed that? There's some people, and, and, and some people go, well, I just must not get this, this church thing because I tried this, man, and I still keep wanting to drink, and I still keep wanting to cuss, and I want to smoke and chew and great, date girls that do, and I, that's just kind of my thing. That's redneck coming out. You understand? It's just my point to you is, is that's your flesh. That's your body. That's your soul. That's, that's the sinful side of us. And so, yes, we are redeemed at salvation. Yes, we are set apart at salvation. But it's our spirit. But we're still having to contend with this flesh. And so the things that I don't want to do, it seems like I do. You ever found yourself there? The things that I do want to do, it seems like I don't do. And, and Paul, we're going to read here in Romans 7, says there's this war that goes on. And, and what I don't want you to do as a pastor is I don't want you just to give in and go, that's just the way it is. Because it's not the way it has to be. It, it's, 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 it's not the way you have to live. You can be free and have victory over sin in your life. Look at this in Romans chapter 7, verse 21 through 25. Paul's writing to the church in Rome, and this is Paul being very open and transparent, and he says this. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil's right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, his word. But I see another law at work in me, warring against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, Paul basically says that God's going to give us this deliverance from sin through Jesus Christ our Lord. But Paul's real honest about saying, look, the things that I don't want to do, I do. And the things that I do want to do, I don't do. And I have this war going on inside of me. If you think that Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, battled that, do you think you're going to deal with that? Sure. Is that wrong to wrestle with that? No. I actually think that struggle produces strength. And our lives. That's the reason why Paul will go on to say to the church in Galatia that don't quit. Don't quit doing good. Man, don't, don't quit. Don't, don't give up. I think the most spiritually mature thing you can do is just don't quit. I see people quit all the time. I see people, and I don't understand this. I just go, look, we're all dealing with sin. We all have problems. We're all, but the grace of Jesus Christ is sufficient. It will strengthen you. He will see you. And so Paul says in here, hey, the, 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 the response is, what a wretched man I am. We've all felt that way. We're like, man, I'm just a sinner. I can't do this. I'm just jacked up. That's what he's saying. I'm messed up. And, and, and you know, I'm toe up from the flow up. You know what I'm saying? I am just completely wretched. Here's what I want you to get. This is what the apostle Paul says of himself. This is natural, but, it does, but you don't live there. You, you, don't, get, you don't take up permanent re residency there. You, 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 you don't just go, well, this is what's going to be. Paul says, just because I have grace over my sin, does that mean I should continue on sinning? No. I'm to try to pursue holiness. I'm to try to pursue righteousness. Jesus is my example. I'm trying to pursue him. And, and, and so the reality is, though, how do I get this? It's my deliverance comes through Jesus Christ. 
My deliverance doesn't come through my willpower. My deliverance doesn't come from my perfection. My deliverance doesn't come from my strength. My deliverance doesn't come from my mind. My deliverance doesn't come from my intellect. My deliverance comes through Jesus. And this is the thing that we forget. And we go, well, I get that, but it just seems... No, we make it way more complicated. It's in Jesus. The Bible says it's in him that we live and that we move and that we have our being. So... I'm going to show you how to do this in a minute, but I want you to understand it's through Jesus Christ, not through Life Church. It's through Jesus Christ, not through a pastor or a priest. It's through Jesus Christ, not through you. It's by grace that we've been saved, through faith and that not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, lest any of us would become proud or boastful or arrogant. The second thing that the cup of deliverance does is it heals us from our wounds. It gives us healing from our wounds. If sin is defined as what you do to yourself, then wounds would be defined as what others do to you. Maybe you've been mistreated. Maybe you truly have been a victim in this situation. Maybe you've gone through great difficulty in your life. Satan will do everything he can to exploit that and, see, and say to you, see, you're just a failure. See, God doesn't really care. See, this is what's happening. I had that from time to time. People will say to me, well, Pastor, why, why are bad things happening to good people? Well, I mean, I can give you some theological answer. But, but the reality is, is, is we live in a fallen world, and, and the reality is, is we don't know everything. And the reality is, is that we're, 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 we, we, at this side of eternity, Paul says, we see in part, we know in part, and we understand in part. When we step on the other side of eternity, we will understand. But today, man, we, we don't have the full puzzle. We don't have the whole enchilada. It's just part and parcel. So what do I do then with the wounds? What do I do then with these inadequacies? What do I do when people... Because here's the thing is, in life, you're going to be hurt. I mean, you know, it's just... and I mean, there are times where people are going to... You know, I mean, first of all, I, I get up and speak every weekend for a living. And so that means I've got plenty of people that criticize what I say. I agree, I disagree, I like, I don't like. Probably a week doesn't go by in the four-year where somebody doesn't armchair quarterback something that I've said. You know, I had somebody try to correct me theologically last night. You know, I, last week you said this, and that's not completely correct because... Da, 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 da. Okay, so on top of that, I'm, I'm, I'm saying things that are very countercultural. So I have people that when I stand on God's Word, which I think is the most solid ground you can stand on, not everybody likes it, right? And I don't know if I'd like it either if somebody was calling me out on my junk, right? I mean, this is a reality. Is that too, you guys understand what I mean by that? Or do I need to be more sanctimonious about that? <laughs> Somebody is theologically exegeting God's word in such a way that it makes me grieve in my spirit. <laughs> Calling you out on your junk. It's the same thing. And then the other thing is I'm, I'm human. So that means I'm not perfect. Contrary to popular opinion and my mother, I, I'm not perfect. <laughs> so the reality is I make mistakes. And on top of that, I'm a boss. And I'm just telling you, I tell every person that comes to work at Life Church, there will be a day I'll be a jerk. I promise you. Just give me enough time. There'll be a day where you're going to think I'm a jerk because I'm going to make a decision that you don't like and I'm going to do something that you don't agree with and you don't have all the information and I'm going to have to make a decision what's best for the organization, not necessarily what's best for you or your department. What I'm trying to say is, is that and when you do that, you're going to have people that are going to speak ill of you. You're going to have people that are going to hurl insults at you. You're going to have people that are going to do everything they can to try to tear you up. And, and the reality is, if you're not careful, those wounds, you'll allow those things to fester. And you'll allow those things, and, and they'll shrink you. They'll define you. I had a senior minister one time, years ago, tell me, Aaron, if you're going to be in ministry, you've got to have the mind of a scholar, the heart of a child, and the height of a rhinoceros. It's a full contact sport. 
So what, I'm, what am I saying to you? I understand when things are coming at you. Okay? So how do you deal with that? What you have to do is make sure that you don't let that stuff stick to you. You're, you have to almost pray, God, this is what I do pray. Lord, you know what so-and-so said. God, you know the truth. I pray this all the time. Let the truth, give them grace to make things right. And if they don't, then I pray you let the truth explode like the noonday sun and show them for what they are. Woo! I, I was in a service one time when a pastor uh, at a church, it was a large church, and, and there was some people that were really dissenting and saying some things, and he had had enough. And that Sunday morning, they had one huge service. He walked in. It was a packed house, stood on the, stood on the front, and he said, I dare anybody who wants to speak that this is what I've been doing, that I've not been doing, that I've been misaligned and miscommunicated and lied about and, and all of that kind of stuff to stand here. And if I'm lying, may God strike me dead on the spot. Boy, it got real quiet. Those people just kind of trinkled out of the room. Because <laughs> it was like they were lying. They were trying to cause dissension. They were trying to cause problems in the church. Here's my, here's my point to you. It's not about church conflict and problem. My point to you is, is that if we're not careful, we have to let our hearts be like Teflon, like a nonstick frying pan, right? Aisle number 12 at Walmart. You understand what I'm talking about? And just pray, God, <laughs> that's funny. God, <laughs> help this not to stick to me. Why? Because don't let bitterness or any of that come and take a root in your life. When God says he will be your deliverer, he'll deliver you from your wounds. That's exactly what he means. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, excuse me, 26 and 27. Don't let sin, don't, excuse me, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. So what you're doing is, is you're saying, God, I don't want any of this to stick to me. Anything that would come to me, any of my response, my anger, my, re, my reaction, I'm going to just give that to you, and I'm going to trust that you're going to be my deliverer. I'm going to show you how in just a minute. The third thing that the cup of deliverance does is that it gives us authority over the enemy. Authority over Satan himself. Ephesians chapter 6, it's a great passage, verse 10, 11, and 12. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against each other. But it's against rulers and against authorities, against powers of darkness of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. So when God says he's our deliverer, that's where we have the ability to overcome those things. I just want you to understand. The Bible says right there, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Zechariah 3 says, it's not by might, not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. So to help you understand this, in the Greek, the Greek language is full of word pictures. So a way to kind of translate that little phrase, that to, to be strong in the Lord and his mighty power, would think Tony Stark, right, Iron Man. Just go with me there for a minute. He's Tony Stark, but when he steps in the suit, he's Iron Man. But outside the suit, he's just Tony Stark. But inside the suit, he's Iron Man. You, you got me? Outside, Tony Stark. Inside, Iron Man. That's exactly what that word picture would mean in the 21st century. That we are like individuals who step into the power of God. We, like individuals, step into his armor. We, like individuals, we step into the strength of the Lord. We, like individuals, step into his power. So many times what we do is we try to be Tony Stark and live like we're Iron Man, and there is no armor around us. 
and we're trying to do it in ourselves, and we're trying to make things happen in ourselves. We're trying to fight with one another, and the battle's not with one another. The battle is a spiritual battle that we're fighting. You're not fighting a physical battle. It may seem like you are, but you're fighting a supernatural battle. I don't mean to be weird. I don't mean to be out there, but I didn't write the book. I'm just telling you what it says. And so the, so, so the truth of the matter is, is that I need to step into God's power. I need to step into his strength. That's the reason why Paul says that, 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 that I can do greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. So the power that's in the world is Satan himself. But the power that's in me is God. And this is not Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. You don't have God is not Satan's equal. Satan is not God's equal. There is no equal to God. You have to understand, and this is, may seem a bit crazy, but God created everything in this world and that, and that there is, including Satan himself. There's nothing that exists in this world that God did not create or allow to happen. That's way beyond my theological pay grade. But the Bible tells us that Satan was an angel, was an archangel, was, was Lucifer. And he had this, he was actually a worship leader, don't, don't beat up on Nando, or Lisa at the, West, at the Appleton campus. But the reality is, is that what happens is he gets full of himself, he takes a third of the angels, and they leave, and God casts them out of heaven. Again, this is the Bible. This isn't some fictitious super sci-fi movie from Hollywood. This is God's word. And so, so there is a real adversary. There's a real devil, but there's a real end to him too. Read the book of Revelation. He has a shelf life. And so in and of ourselves, we are no match for him. But God in us, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. God in us, we have more power. The power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. If you try to live this life outside of God's power, out God, you're just trying to be St Tony Stark, you're going to crash and burn. But if you will step into your Iron Man suit, do you understand what I'm saying? You'll step into God's power. You'll step into his strength. The greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. The other thing that it says here is that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. So your enemy's not your brother or your sister. Your enemy's not the crotchety old guy down at the end of the street. Your, energy, your enemy is not somebody who seems like they're coming against you. It's spiritual forces. Remember Ghostbusters? I ain't afraid of no ghosts, right? Anybody? Dan Aykroyd? Holla? Yes? They're remaking it this summer? For those of you millennials that don't know what I'm talking about, God help us all. Anyhow, <laughs> the idea behind Ghostbusters is, is, that, is that they're able to see the supernatural world. That's a crazy thing, and I'm not all into extraterrestrial, so don't, don't put things words in my mouth. But the truth of the matter is, read it. We are in a battle with spiritual darkness in high places. If you and I could see for a minute the spiritual reality, see, we see everything in a three-dimensional physical reality, but if we could see in the spirit what's really going on, it would literally scare the hell out of you. Because you would realize this is so much greater than us. This is so much more. And we're protected under the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm just telling you, there's a protection that's there. We are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, the Bible says. But when we drink of that cup of deliverance, when we are following Jesus Christ, he gives us authority over the supernatural, so that we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be scared. Listen, Hollywood has done an amazing job at trying to, to put on picture the demonic, the dark, 
the spiritual realities. I'm not talking about Ghostbusters at this point. And I'm telling you, they cannot scratch the surface. And what resonates with us, the reason why that even has any kind of secular marketplace appeal is because we are body, soul, and spirit. And the spirit of Christ that's inside of you and the spirit that, uh, that's inside of every single person, whether it's redeemed or unredeemed, resonates with what's there. To go, that, that's possible. That's crazy, but that's real. And when we step from this life into eternity, we will understand and get all of this. But right now, everything seems so physical. Everything in our world is physical. But this physical is so temporary. Here today and gone tomorrow. So, how do I drink from this cup? I'm so glad you asked that question. Romans chapter 8 gives us the answer. Romans chapter 8, verses 1. So now there is no condemnation... For those who belong to Christ Jesus, that's good for you to remember. When you're in Christ, there's no condemnation because the grace of Jesus Christ has covered your sins. It's not about being perfect. It's about being forgiven. And because you belong to him, the power of this life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Go down to verse 5. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature, what do they do? They think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit thinks about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. You want life and peace? Then let the Holy Spirit control your mind. By doing what? By thinking on things that are pleasing, things that are good, things that are holy. You want, you want your mind to be unsettled? You, you, you want to battle this all the time? Then give in to your mind uh, thinking about things that are sinful. What's sin? Sin is anything that's diametrically opposed to God. It's the opposite of what you read in Scripture. So Paul says the key to experiencing freedom is in the way we think. The key to experience this deliverance that we're talking about, this freedom that we're talking about, about getting Egypt out of us is in the way that we think. And this is not new age. This is not just some, you know, name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, kind of a you just say it enough times and it's going to happen or visualize it enough times it's going to happen. But the reality is, is that we have to take captive every thought in our mind. And every action begins with a thought. It begins with an idea. It, we see it. We think about it. It, feel, it. it comes into our heart, and then we act upon it. That's the reason why when somebody gets in trouble, when you read the headlines in a newspaper that so-and-so has just been found, uh, they were just caught doing something they weren't supposed to be doing, and it's on the front page news, that's not the first time that happened. No, 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 no. They saw that. They meditated on that. They let that give root in their heart, and then they acted upon it. And probably multiple times, because God's a gracious God before it comes to light. God's not some cosmic killjoy. So it's about the way I think. It's about taking those thoughts into captivity. It, it's, a, it's about understanding that there's, there's power in the way that I do. And so, you go, well, Aaron, you said, man, I'm to think on things that are pure and holy, things that are godly. So I don't have time to stay in church all day like you do. Yeah, that's all I do. I just stay in this room. I have this little room in the back, and I kind of hobble out here, and I go right back into there, and I just, I'm away from the world. That is where the concept of monasteries came from to push the world away. But the reality is we don't live in a monastery. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. And that, that increases the conflict. 
So, so what are things that are pure and what are things that are holy? Well, first of all, listen, the Bible says whatever your hand finds to do, do is unto the Lord. So your job, your work, your vocation predates sin. So that can be pure and holy before the Lord. As long as it's integral and character-driven and it's, it's not based upon lies or trying to rip people off or, or hurt people. It's, it's really trying to... So whether you're a teacher or whether you're an attorney or whether you're a doctor, whether you're a stay-at-home parent, whether you're a real estate salesman, whether you work in an office, whether you work on a factory floor, whatever your hand finds to do, that's glorifying unto God. Think on these things. Family. God instituted the family before he ever instituted the church. Family. So your desire to want to be with family, to enjoy family, to be with your kids, to be with your parents, to, 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 to be with, with, with your family, it's a good thing. What are other things that God created? The earth and the fullness thereof is his handiwork. Some of you really like being in the great outdoors, and you love that, and there's something that resonates with you. Do you know why that resonates with you? Because it's God's. And so as long as you're not going to the lake and getting drunk and, and, and living life promiscuously, it's great. So, so go and be, you know, be knee-deep in the water somewhere. And, and it's a relaxing day. And that's pure and holy before the Lord. Do you understand? It's not about an hour on Sunday. It's about an attitude of my heart. What God doesn't want me to do is to live life that would be in, in opposition of what his word says. So there's purity in my sexuality. There's purity in, my, in, in, in my, my finances. There's purity in my work. There's purity in my words. There's purity in my thought life. There's purity in the entertainment that I take in. So it's thinking on these things. We're free to think on things that please the Spirit. So I've just given you some of those things. And so some of you, it's, there, I know there's an RV show going on in Milwaukee. So go buy a new boat today. That's what I'm telling you, right? Do you understand? Amen. That was the Lord, Tammy, right there. I feel Jesus. Okay, so, but that's, but that's fine. You, do you, you understand? Go to, go to the ballpark and, and enjoy a day with your family. It's fine. Don't get smashed drunk. But I'm saying go and just enjoy your family and enjoy being outdoors. Go play around a golf and enjoy. Go shopping and enjoy friendships and relationships. Go and, and vacate. You know, recreate. That's where the word, you know, it's recreating. That's where the word recreation comes from. It's what God did on the Sabbath. He recreated himself. He recreated from his activities of the week. So the million-dollar question is, what has the most control over what you think? From my experience and from the Bible, it's the people that are around you. The people that are around you. And this is going to sound really simplistic, but, but, but hear me out. I, I thought about this. And even when I was processing through this week, I kept coming back to this. And I'm thinking, yeah, this seems a little, but it's just true. And I've seen this experientially, and I see it biblically. If we're going to think on things that please the Lord, we must surround ourselves with the right people. So in the Bible, we see that deliverance is always tied to relationships. First with Jesus, and then with the people that were around First with Jesus, vertical relationship, right? Love the Lord God, your, your, your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then horizontal, love your neighbors yourself. Who are the relationships in your life? Who are the people in your world? Proverbs chapter 28 verse 13 says, He who conceals his sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. So, Pastor, are you saying we should go to a confessional booth? No, I'm saying that we should confess our sins one to another. 
We confess our sins to Jesus that we can find forgiveness. But we find mercy and healing when we confess our sins one to another. Look at this. James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to who? To the priest? No. To the pastor? No. To Jesus? No. Not here. You do that to Jesus to find forgiveness for your sins. But to each other. And pray for each other so that what? You may be forgiven? No, because you can't forgive somebody. I can't forgive you. The priest can't forgive you. Nobody, no man can forgive another man. But so that I can may be healed. See, here's what happens. Here's the dirty little secret that the enemy tries to play over and over and over in your mind. If they really know you, they're not going to like you. And there's some people that that would be true of. If you really tell your people, if you really tell, if you have a confidence and you really tell people what's going on, they're going to turn their back on you. They're going to reject you. They're going to do whatever. And so what do we do? We keep it hidden. We keep it buried. That's the reason why Proverbs says if you conceal your sin, you get sin sick. But if you confess it, if you give it, let it see daylight, it dissipates it. It's gone. That's what the enemy of your soul knows. That in your life, if you try to hide and conceal, that's the reason why we try to do everything in that's the reason why sin most of the time is done in darkness, because we don't want anyone to see. But when you allow light to come to that, all of a sudden it dissipates. All the power's gone. There's no more leverage that's there. And so the key to that is in your relationships. Look, if you're running around with a bunch of guys who are just going to hit the bar after work, they're not going to hold you to an accountability on your integrity. If you're running around with a bunch of gossip girls and that's all they want to do is run somebody down and tear somebody down every time they're on the phone or you're seeing, they're not going to be there to edify and build you up. They're looking for you to fall so you're the next big fodder for their conversation. But if you're around people who love Jesus, you're around people who are struggling just like you are, you're around people who, who have similar uh, uh, interests but also uh, characteristics of integrity and, and at least trying to, trying to live right, trying to raise their kids right, trying to do that, and you stay connected with those people, guess what happens? You're able to say, I'm struggling over here. And then somebody's going to say, let me pray for you right now. See, they don't stop the conversation and gossip to let me pray for you because it's diametrically opposed. They don't stop in the middle of the bar and go, hey, let me have everybody's attention. You know, Johnny is struggling right now with his marriage. We're all going to pray for him. So my point to you is, is it's out of those relationships. That's the reason why the local church is so important in your life. It may not be life church. It is for me, but it should be some church. And so, and so what I want to encourage you to do today is this, is to think about the relationships in your life. Yes, Jesus Christ has come in your heart and in your life to save you. And strength that comes through Jesus. But as we're going to be delivered and we're going to do this, it's going to be in these relationships that we have. So a couple things to encourage you about. Water baptism. Last night we had a dozen and a half or so that were, that were water baptized. This next service we'll have about 20 or so students that are going to be water baptized. About 30 some odd people will be baptized this weekend. Why do I say that? Because it's a public expression of an inward action. And so I encourage you that if you have, are a follower of Jesus Christ and you've not been baptized, water baptized, to do that. On the back of your communication card, you can simply just check the box on there. Appleton Campus, just check the box. We'll follow up with you. We do, we do uh, baptisms at all of our campuses. Why? Because it's an opportunity for you to be able to go public with your faith and be able to express this is what Jesus has done in me. It also begins to develop new relationships out of that because people that don't want anything to do with that, they'll kind of go to the wayside, which you may need to let those people go. And people that are really full of Jesus are going to come, and there's going to be new relationships that are going to be brought forth. Next thing would be something like church membership. 
Church membership doesn't save you, but there are over 30 verses and references in the New Testament alone that assume that you are actively involved in a local church where you're praying for people or they're praying for you, where you're giving with one another or they're giving to you, where there's this, there's this network, there's this ecosystem called the local church. Nothing works like the local church works when the local church works the way the local church is designed to work. And so there's a need that's there, and you need me, and I need you. And so, again, if you're at Life Church and you're going, hey, I'd like to know more about Life Church, or maybe this has been your church for a long time, you've just never pursued any type of membership, which basically just says, hey, you can count on me and I can count on you. The backside of your communication card, there's a thing that says Life Track. Just check that box. None of these obligate you to anything. We're just going to give you information. But today, at the Germantown campus, we're going to be going to Maggiano's. Holla, don't hate me because you ain't me. It's all you can eat. But this is where we do membership lunch. So there's a close to 50 people that are becoming members just this weekend. It's relationships. I love that because I get to meet people and know people and get to know people and sit around the table and talk. This is what the church should be about. And the last thing I would say is life groups. Man, transformation, spiritually speaking, happens in rows, excuse me, in circles, not in rows. My job on the weekend is to equip you to live this godly life. My job on the weekend is to get into your uh, proverbial kitchen and rattle the pots and pans. My job is to provoke you, to kind of poke the bear, if you would, right? That's my job every weekend, to make you think and process. But how you process that and what you do with that is going to be transforming in your life in the context of a life group, a small group. Those are people... And again, it's not week one, but it's over time. that They're your band of brothers. They're, there's a sisterhood that's there. there. There are people that are there that you're connecting, that you can develop great relationships with, but they're the people that you can say, hey, this is what's going on. This is what I'm battling with. Will you pray with me? And this is so important in larger and growing churches because the bottom line is it's just easy to kind of slip in and slip out. And I would encourage you, quit riding the pine Quit just slipping in and slipping out, getting your latte and just coming in. Actively engage yourself. Why? Because that's how you drink of this cup of deliverance. It's by Jesus coming in and he sets you apart, the cup of sanctification. But he also delivers you. And that process of deliverance, of overcoming those sin, those temptations and those issues, they're a process that we find in Christ and he works out through his people, the local church.